that song could have been my sermon because that's the scripture that we're going to be looking at today. So I'll tell you right up front what the scripture is because it may take you a while to find it. It's Lamentations 3, 21 through 24. Lamentations 3, 21 through 24. And uh, as you're turning there, I just wanted to say it seems like here recently with a lot of turmoil going on in our nation and thinking about the way things used to be, uh, a lot of verses have come up that I learned when I was a very new Christian, and this is one of those, uh, just the mercies of God are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. So we're going to be talking about the steadfast love of our Lord, and He is our hope, amen? He is our, he is our great hope. Uh, the world may change, and it will change. We change, the Lord does not change. Jesus Christ... Hebrews 13.8 is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is our great rock that we hold uh, on to. And we need to know and be reminded of God's love for us. Can you say amen to that too? <laughs> we need to be reminded of that. And that's, a, that's what this is today. It's a reminder of God's love for us, even in the midst of tribulation. And uh, certainly the book of Lamentations uh, the people of Judah were going through tribulation. And I don't know how much you know about the book of Lamentations. It's not a book that we reference a whole lot. It's not a, a book that a lot of people teach out of a whole lot. But it is a book of Lamentations. And you might ask, well, what is a Lamentation? Well, it is an expression of sorrow. It is a, it is a woe that uh, a person is expressing. And in this particular instance in the book of Lamentations, the author is, is expressing sorrow over the nation of Judah, which has been taken into captivity by the nation of Babylon. So this all happened back in the 500s BC, so it's happened a long time for us. Uh, you might say, well, does that have relevance to us? Well, I think it does, <laughs> because we live in a nation that is going through turmoil right now, just as the nation of Judah was going through turmoil. In fact, the whole nation of Israel, if you remember, after the time of Solomon, the nation of Israel was divided into the north, northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom ended up in 722 BC. It was, uh, it was conquered by Assyria. And that nation, they were spread out through all of the nations. Uh, about 150 years later, in 586 B.C. or so, uh, the southern kingdom of Judah was taken into captivity. And for the most part, most of Judah and their people was taken to Babylon. And that's where we hear stories of Daniel. And uh, that's the time during which Jeremiah is prophesying and Ezekiel. And so this is a very desperate time for the kingdom of Israel, the people of God. Uh, as I said, the northern king had already been conquered. Now Judah has been taken into captivity. And the, almost this whole book, I think it's five chapters, but almost this whole book is woe after woe after woe, lamentation after lamentation after lamentation. And the one bright spot are these verses that I have just read. So let, let me read just real quickly uh, before I read our scripture, let me read just real quickly uh, some verses preceding these. And I won't read every verse, but in chapter 3, 
For instance, it starts out, the author says, I'm a man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He's talking about the Lord. He's talking about the nation of, of Judah, this southern kingdom, being under the discipline or the wrath of the Lord. He says later in verse 4, he says, He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. Their distress was so great that he was losing weight, that he was not healthy. Uh, he goes on and he says, uh, He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. In verse 10, he says, He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. These are all expresses, expressions of woe concerning um, the southern kingdom as they are taken into captivity. Of course, for them to go into captivity, captivity was a very serious thing. For us, you know, if we were to take, be taken into captivity to another country, we obviously would meet a different culture and there would be different ways. But we have to remember for the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom, that the temple was in Jerusalem. This was the only place where they could offer acceptable sacrifices. And so not only were they taken to a different country, but they had to leave behind the temple. And it's thought, of course, during this time, many of the temple uh, pieces of, of uh, hardware that were used to do the sacrifice was also taken to Babylon, and who knows what would happen to it after that. But let's go ahead and read the scripture that is the good news, right? <laughs> we painted a pretty bleak picture here. But let's go ahead and look at Lamentations 3, verses 21 to 24, and let me just read it as you sit there. He says, But I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Let's stop for a moment and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you uh, for this time that we have to look at your word, to look at the history of Israel. And many people would say, well, this has nothing to do with us, but we see today that as we live in a land that has become almost foreign to us in many ways, we see that we are in distress, maybe not as severe as the nation of Judah, but we are in distress and we're concerned about our country and our way of our life and even our ability to worship freely. Uh, and so it does have relevance to us here today. And the answer is still the same, that we have hope in you. So we pray that you would teach us as we go through this. Teach us not only what the scripture says, but how we are to behave, how we are to respond to this, that we might more completely be the people of God that you want us to be. So we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So the good news, obviously, today is that there's hope in the midst of great difficulty for us. Hope because of the steadfast love of the Lord for us. Amen? It is just wonderful that he loves us the way he does. And many times it's difficult to see that love because we think, well, that, that really, what's happening to me doesn't seem like is really loving. But in God's great plan and his providence over all things, he works out all things for our good. 
And the author of this says that there's a very important thing for us to do here. He says in that very first verse, but he says, I call this to remind, to my mind. He says, but I call, but this I call to mind in my version. And first of all, it, it tells us that hope comes from remembering God's love for us. And if we were to gather for no other reason than that here today to remember that God loves us, then it would be worth it showing up for that reason. We know from Scripture, of course, that God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God loves us in many different ways, but his greatest expression of love we know is that he sent his son to die for our sins, die on a cross so that we could believe in him and our life be turned over to him and that we might be obedient to him and enjoy eternal life with him. Amen. Yeah, thank you. He says in, uh, that was John 3.16, of course. I, I love 1 John 3.16 because <laughs> it speaks of God's love as well. He says, by this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And there we get, we get a beautiful picture, not only of God's love, but the life-changing uh, effect that God's love has on us. When we experience God's love, we can't help but give that away to other people. And so uh, a Christian is not one who kind of raises their hands and says, well, I, I believe that Jesus existed and then their life goes on and never changes. But our lives have changed, right? Our lives have truly changed. We want to be obedient to God. We want to love other people. God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our hope comes from remembering and reminding ourselves that, God's love, that God loves us and he, he loves us greatly. He's given his only son. You know, he's given us his only son. What greater gift is there? None, right? There is no greater gift than for him to give his son the most valuable thing in the universe. And so God has great love for us, but it is a steadfast love. It's a steadfast love. God is not going anywhere in your life. <laughs> you know, uh, he, the reason this is so, if you think about this, did God love us because we're such a great people? No. Just like the people of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, I love this section of scripture. It says, and this is God speaking, he says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it's because the Lord loved you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And that, that verse clearly, I think, gives a beautiful picture that he set his love upon us. I want you to remember that term because it's not a love based upon us being so great, but it's a choice that God makes. He says, I choose to love this people, Israel, in this particular way. I'm going to deliver them from bondage in Egypt, and they are going to be my people. And so when I, when I say, and the scripture says that God's love for us is steadfast, 
it's steadfast because we can't do anything to undeserve his love because we never did anything to deserve it in the first place. It's his choice. And God, as being a faithful God, his choice is not going to change. He will always love us. And also when I think of being steadfast, I think of being steadfast on a course. He has a plan for our lives, and it is a good plan. Jeremiah 29, 11, I'm, I'm sure that you know it, says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare and not for, for evil to give you a future and a hope. We can be assured here today that God's plan for us in the future is for our good. It may not look exactly like we think it should look. It may even come with some trials and tribulations, and it may even come with death, right? But we know that those who are in Christ can never be separated from God, that even in death we go on to be with him. And so it's so important for us to know that steadfast means that he has a plan for our life, that we are on track even though it may seem like we are off track. <laughs> and that doesn't mean we, never need to we don't need to examine our lives to make sure that we're in God's will, but it means that he is going to work everything out for our good. We're given that promise in Romans 8.28. I quote it all the time. I'm sure you guys are probably tired of it, but uh, he says that uh, in all things he works for good with those who love him who are called according to his purpose. If we are in Christ, we can be assured no matter how dire the situation may look, no matter what suffering we may go through on the, for the sake of Christ, that he is working those things out for our good. And you might say, well, how can that be? How can difficult things be for our good? Well, they can change our character, right? As we go through difficulties and trials, God is testing our faith. He's not testing it because he doesn't know what our faith is. He's testing us because we need to be tested. We need to see that our faith is one that's going to persevere. <laughs> He's working on our character, right? <laughs> he is working. I'll, I'll edit that out probably. No. <laughs> uh, he's working on our character. And when, as we go through trials and tribulation, it builds character in our life so that we become like the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we do endure sometimes the discipline of the Lord. You probably know Hebrews chapter 12 very well, but he says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. He's talking to people uh, in the book of Hebrews who are undergoing difficulty and persecution, and they're tempted to go back to the old way of, of faith by exercising sacrifices and, and things like that. But he says, uh, this time, this difficult time that you're going through, don't become weary or, repro or when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He's treating us as sons and daughters, and that's a good thing, right? It's, uh, those of you who have kids or grandkids, you know that discipline is an important part of them being brought up, and that, that is so much against our culture even today. Uh, Today you just put them in a corner or you talk to them. or And we need to do those things as well, but also sometimes they need to hear the truth. And, uh, and when we do that, we are treating them lovely, lovingly. Every father disciplines. He says, if you are left without discipline in which you have participated, 
then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, he says, if someone just goes throughout life and they're, they're living uh, kind of like the prodigal son and they never receive any discipline, it's a sure sign that they are not children of God. Children of God will receive the discipline of the Lord and that is a good thing for us. God disciplines us as any good father would discipline his children. God's love for us means that his mercies never come to an end. His mercies never come to an end. They are, good, they are new every morning, just like the song says, just like the scripture says. God's mercy really is him not giving us what we deserve. So it's kind of the flip side of grace. Remember grace? We always talk about grace is God giving us something that we don't deserve, giving us good things that we don't deserve. Mercy is kind of the flip side of that. It's used more in the Old Testament. Grace is used more in the New Testament. Grace, uh, mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve, right? And what do we deserve? Yeah, we don't deserve anything, right? We deserve judgment. We deserve fire and brimstone and all those things for those who ultimately will reject God. And so God's mercy is him not giving us what we deserve, but rather he does give us good things. And I use Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, and I won't read all of that, but you may want to write that down. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And I, I love to go through this with new Christians to tell them all the good things that they have in Christ. It says in verse 3 that we have been given every spiritual blessing. Now, I don't know what all those blessings are, but it's every one of them. Every good spiritual blessing God wants to give us, He does give us, not because of our own goodness, but because of our relationship with Christ. It says in those verses that He chose us in Christ, just like He chose the people of Israel, not based upon their number or their goodness, he chooses us in Christ as well, not based upon our goodness or, or who we are. He chose us for a purpose, and that purpose is to be holy and blameless. Let me hear you guys repeat. We have been chosen for holy and to be blameless. Holy and blameless, right? <laughs> that's, the, that's the correct biblical view of Christianity is that grace is a free gift. It comes totally through Jesus Christ who paid the price for all. Amen. But that change in our life makes such a difference that we no longer want to live like the world, but we want to be holy and blameless. And do we ever attain that in this life? No, we never attain that in this life. But that is no excuse to not to work toward that. The scripture also in Hebrew says, that we are to pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So we have to have a holiness, and we do, right? We have a holiness which comes from Christ. But then he says, what I have given you as a gift, you work out in your everyday life. And so he said, we are to be holy and blameless. We have been adopted as his sons and daughters. Think about that. I know it's fashionable to say that Every person on the planet is a child of God. But it goes against Scripture to say that, and it minimizes what Christ has purchased for us on the cross. Amen. 
We only become children of God when we receive Christ as Lord and Savior and we are adopted as his sons and daughters. But to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. And so, yes, God is fatherly toward all people, but he is only father in truth to those who have received Christ as his Lord and Savior. He has redeemed us through his blood. He has paid the price. We don't pay any of the price for our salvation. He's given us forgiveness of sin. He's given us wisdom and insight. Because of Christ and his righteousness, we have an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. And we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit to ensure that we will make it to the end of our lives in faith with Christ. So just wonderful. His mercies never come to an end. We think they come to an end, and here comes another batch. I love also in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14, it says that his love was lavished upon us. His love is extravagant. It's, it's beyond comprehensions. It's wonderful. Sadly, there are people who would reject God and reject his offer of eternal life. They choose not to follow Christ. There are some who have never heard about Christ, right? Many in the world have never heard of, about Christ. That should cut us to the heart and, and give us the desire to go and share that with them so that they could at least have the opportunity to hear about Christ. But there are those who hear the message and they choose not to follow Christ. And then there seems to be those who halfway want to follow Christ. They want Christ to be their Savior, but they don't necessarily want Him to be their Lord. And that is not the way of salvation. Some in our world would say, well, sin is no big deal. Everyone does it after all. Everyone sins. No one's perfect. No one ever will be perfect. And there's really no reason to worry too much about sin. After all, Jesus paid for all of my sin. But we need to learn to see sin the way God sees sin right? Not the way we see sin. We have a tendency to see sin as we compare ourselves to other people. And we might say, well, I'm better at this than them. Therefore, secret, secretly, we're kind of saying to ourselves, well, I'm more righteous than them. But this is not the way God sees it. He sees it as rebellion against himself. He sees it as disloyalty. He even calls it adultery with the nation of Israel. Remember that? <laughs> when, when he was at the Mount Sinai and they received the Ten Commandments, he said, I'm going to enter a covenant with you. And he called Israel his wife and any disobedience would be considered as adultery or even in the book of Proverbs, prostitution. But aren't you thankful that God's mercies are new every morning? Every morning we wake up and his mercies are new. Every time someone hears the gospel, they have an opportunity to receive Christ. They are replenished every day. Christ, and the reason this is so, is that Christ's life is sufficient to pay for all of our sins. We don't, we don't contribute anything to that. If we had to contribute, if we had to do something, we would surely fail and our salvation would be come to nothing. 
And God is forever faithful to love his people, to replenish their mercies day after day. Great is his faithfulness. Amen? Great is his faithfulness. He's faithful to himself. He cannot compromise. He cannot tolerate sin. And so what does he do? He sends his son to pay the penalty for that sin so that sinners like us can be in his presence because we are no longer sinners, but we are saints. We are righteous and we are holy. So he is faithful to himself. He doesn't have to compromise. He doesn't sweep the sin under the rug, but he pays the penalty for it himself. He's faithful to his word. Every word that we read in the Bible is true. Amen, Charlotte? Amen. It is true. Every word is true, and it is an indication of the character of God, and his character never changes. Aren't you glad he, that he never changes, that he doesn't change his mind about how to save people in the midst? We always know that if you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you will be saved. And then finally, he is faithful to us. He never going to leave us, never going to forsake us. He's always going to work for our good. And our final question is just how do we respond to such a love as God has for us in Christ? Do we continue in sin? No. No. We don't continue in sin. Paul asked that question. I love the book of Romans because... Paul, every so often in that book, asks these hypothetical questions. Uh, he says, are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? He says, no. How could we, who have died to sin, continue to live in it? And like we said, it's not, it doesn't mean that we are perfect, but it means that we always come back and confess our sin to God, repent of that, and turn back to Him. I think we should be heartbroken about our sin. We should be heartbroken about the love that God has for us and how we fail Him sometimes. And when we sin, are we truly heartbroken about our sin? Most of you probably know Mel Gibson, who... Uh, was in many movies, you know, he's got some good movies, he's got some that are not so good. But he made one that's pretty famous, at least in Christian circles, and that's The Passion of the Christ. And how many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ? Most of you, most of you have seen The Passion of the Christ. I don't know if you know this story or not, but when it came to the point in the movie where Jesus was going to be nailed to the cross, he wanted to be the person whose hands you could see, and he was off camera, but you could see his hands as nailing Jesus' hand into the wood with the nails. And he did that because he said he wanted a reminder of the cost Jesus was paying and ultimately what our sin does to our Savior. And I, I, try to, I have tried to follow that example myself to think about when I'm tempted to sin or tempted to be unfaithful somehow to God, am I crucifying Jesus all over again? Now I'm not because he paid for sin once. But the book of Hebrews says that, uh, you know, in, in chapter 6, it very clearly says that um, 
that if we deny Christ or if we uh, sin willfully, that it's as though Jesus were being crucified again. So do, I, do we respond with such a love as Christ has for us by sinning? No, we don't do that because we don't want to have anything to do with contributing to the suffering that he had on the cross. Sometimes I think we respond, at least I'm thinking about myself, how do we respond to God's love? Sometimes I'm perplexed about myself, why I'm not more faithful to God, <laughs> why I get angry even after being a Christian for 40-some years, why I still lose patience, why I'm not thoughtful. I'm human. I'm human. But sometimes I'm perplexed uh, at why I haven't done better. And I can't blame God. I can only blame myself because He has given a way of escape, right? First Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so as, as I have over these past 40-some years, I've always looked for that escape. If we love God, we want to return his love, then we should not want to sin against him, but we should look for this escape. And unless you think that this is an easy thing, let's, let's remember that sin encompasses a whole lot of different things. It's not only things that we shouldn't do, but it's a failure to do things we ought to do, right? So James, we're getting ready to st study James. Uh, James 1.22, I think, says, let us be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And if we fail in one point of the law, we are guilty of the whole law. And so I'm not trying to be down. I'm trying to be realistic that we need to take a serious look at our sin, not only things that we should not be doing, but we should look at things that we should be doing and realize that if we fail to do those things, that we have sinned and rebelled against God. And we need to look for this escape because there is the way of escape. And I think it's in verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The way of escape is not going to come from us, right? We're not going to be able to work up enough strength apart from the Holy Spirit to ever escape this temptation. But it's as we look to the Lord as my portion. Think about that. And I know the word portion is not one that we use on a regular basis. But what he's trying to say here is that I have a relationship with God. He is the one that I always look to to get me out of this temptation. And I think... I think we just need to look more to Jesus. 
what he did on the cross, what he suffered for us, the love that it took for him to do that, the pain and suffering that he went through for us and our behalf, all so that we could have a relationship with him. And if sin separates us, even if just in fellowship only, then we don't want to do that for a second, right? We don't for a second want to feel any distance between us and God. And let me make it clear, we don't lose our salvation when we sin, but there is a distance that's created because of us, right? God doesn't create the distance, we create the distance. We feel like I can't go to him now because I've sinned after all. But we always turn toward God as our portion. And so here's how I handle sin. I confess my sin. I it basically confess just means I agree with God. I have sinned against you. I feel sorrow for my sin and I repent of my sin. Repent just means turn away from your sin as your object of worship, which it is, and turn back toward God. If we look toward the cross, this whole cycle becomes an act of worship. We confess our sin, we repent of our sin, we look to the cross and we worship God as our portion. And he becomes our object of worship once again. And I'm convinced that if we focus upon God, that he is first in our life, that we will grow in our ability to put sin off and make Christ the ultimate person in our life. Let's pray. Father, we want you to be first in our life. We want Christ to be first in our life. But so many times, the subtlety, the, the, the trickery of Satan gets us off track and gets us on the wrong path. And we need to hear from you about how to get that back on track. And so you've shown us that we are to confess our sin, we're to repent of our sin, we're to trust in Christ and to look to him as the one who is sufficient. We cannot pay for our sin. We cannot do anything like that. We just look to the cross and see that it is sufficient and once again place our trust in that. So my prayer is that we would do that today, that we would see you as eternally faithful to us. You are working in our life to bring us into the image of Christ and you're not about to give up on that. You're dedicated to us. You are steadfast in your love toward us. You discipline us as your children. You care about us. You care about us enough to use tough love to keep us on the straight path, to keep us out of danger. So we pray that you would help us as Christians to do that. We pray for those today who may not be a Christian, that they would clearly hear the call from the Holy Spirit that it's okay for you to come to Jesus Christ today, that there's no cleaning up that you need to do, no, uh, no changes in your life. You just need to come to Christ, place your faith and trust in Him today, and you will have the hope of eternal life and an everlasting relationship with God. We pray that if there are those here today who need to make that decision, that they would do that. 
for your glory. Thank you for this time. Help this time of response. Be thoughtful. And that we would be honest with God. And that we would do as your word says. To follow after Christ with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In his name we pray. Amen.